Good morning. I am wearing green. People were asking why, and my answer has been the same all morning. It's slimming. So, it's good to be with you guys today. Um, uh, John mentioned that we have a few uh, community groups going on. Um, uh, the one that David and Twyla are leading, just to mention, they're meeting directly after uh, our gathering this morning because of some event that's happening tonight. Um, so if you're interested in that one or if you want to stick around to, to check it out, um, uh, chat with them afterwards and, uh, and hang around. So uh, we are in a sermon series uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We're calling it Outside In. I got the order right this week, Pete. We're on to a good start. Uh, we're tracking stories of Jesus that show us the way that he opened up the kingdom of God for those who were considered on the outside to come in. And he challenged those who are on the inside to reconsider their priorities, to, to, uh, to look at life again through the lens of God's centering love, that God takes those who are forgotten and marginalized and ostracized, and he makes them central to the conversation. So last week we talked about the so-called parable of the Good Samaritan, yeah? And how God will even use the examples of our enemies to teach us about this kingdom way of inclusion and bringing people in and living according to justice. And that he wants to turn us from uh, bystanders into participants who enter into the real needs of his creation. Today we're going to look at the very next story. So you don't have to go far. If you found it last week, you'll find this week. Uh, but it's in Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 38. I believe the verses will be up on the screen. And uh, this too might be a very familiar story for you. It starts this way. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Um, you've heard this story, many of you? Yeah? The story of Mary and Martha. Uh, this passage is often preached as a contrast between things like prayer and housework, or between this contemplative kind of spiritual life of listening and the activist life of service. I've heard this sermon used by people who, seeking, who are seeking to avoid serving in kids' ministry. Because after all, it's better to be upstairs with the adults at Jesus' feet than downstairs serving. I've heard this sermon referred in ways uh, that some of us are Marys and some of us are Marthas, but in God's church, all of us are needed. This is not going to be one of those sermons. What's actually happening in this story is far more disruptive, way more disoriented, incredibly radical. 
more than we give this little, uh, cute little story credit for. So let's talk about the setting. The setting of this story happens in Bethany. Luke doesn't mention this by name, but we know from John's Gospel that Martha's house was located in Bethany. And Bethany was just outside of Jerusalem, which sits at the top of the Jericho Road. Where did we hear about the Jericho Road? Yeah, product, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan was last week, right? Yeah, I knew what you meant. I'm with you. Um, and Luke, so, so Luke is placing this story here because Jesus and his compatriots have just arrived on the plateau of Jerusalem. This is the capital region of Israel. This is where things happen. This is where Jesus' story comes to an end. Jesus is announcing, and Luke is announcing, that, that Jesus has arrived at the very heart of Israel, and this story shows us that He has come to bring trouble with a capital T. So Jesus arrives at Martha's house, and what we see is that Jesus is doing nothing less than upending all of Martha's assumptions about what God wants, about what faithfulness looks like, about how to truly welcome God's messengers and embrace God's kingdom. Jesus is surprising and offending all of Martha's preconceived notions about what's appropriate and inappropriate for women. And his word today is not just for Martha or the Marthas in the room. Martha is the first among many that Jesus will disrupt in the chapters to come. This is the pattern. Something deep and profound is happening beginning in Luke 10 that's going to happen for all of the people in the Jerusalem complex and indeed for all disciples of Jesus. So the good news that we proclaim today is that Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, is present among us right here and now, proclaiming a fresh Word from God. This Word is reshaping the world in the goodness of God, but as it does its work, it will disrupt all of our anxious clinging to preconceived notions about what God wants and what it means to be faithful. But there's room today. There's room for you at the feet of Jesus to receive his disruptive, renewing word as you allow it to reshape your world too in God's goodness. This is the one thing that's needed. Will you choose the better part like Mary today? So this, uh, this short story takes place in the home of a woman named Martha, yeah, uh, who welcomes Jesus and provides hospitality for him. And we're not told that it's Mary's house too, but Mary, her sister, is there as well. Now notice here that Martha is being faithful to the traditions that have been handed down to her about how to respond to God's messengers when they come to town. And she's received this through a deep, long history of women just like her. So this stretches back all the way to Abraham in Genesis 12. If you remember this story, there's like this odd story with Abraham and Sarah, and uh, God comes uh, to their town in the form of three visitors. You remember this? 
And Abraham sees them and invites them to rest at his house. And they come and they do that. And then Genesis 12, verse 6 says, So Abraham hurried to the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. This is the promise of God's covenant continuing one generation after another. So, all right, you, you, uh, this, you can participate here. Um, how do you receive God's messengers according to God's word? How do you, like when God comes to town, what do you do? You invite them in and, what's that? You feed them. Not just feed them, but feed them what? Right, the best of everything. The fatted calf, the best bread, the good oil. What else do you do? You're missing one that's going to be uncomfortable. You keep the women in the tent. <laughs> right? This is biblical hospitality 101. Notice the three visitors don't go, hey, where's your wife Sarah? And Abraham says in the tent, they don't say, hey, can you go get her quick because we have a word for her. That word is mediated through Sarah's husband. Sarah remains in the kitchen. This is biblical hospitality. Um, so just as Sarah helps with the preparations, what does Martha expect Mary to do? Help in the kitchen. This is the biblical thing to do. When God's messengers come to town, the women stay in the tent. This is what we do to welcome God. This is Martha's preconceived notion about how to welcome Jesus, and she has good, biblical, biblically sound reasons to assume that this is true. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. There's just one problem. Mary does not stay in the kitchen. <laughs> she crosses the boundary between private and public space and she tramples into the public space in the home where the messengers of God are transmitting the word of God. And she sits at Jesus' feet and listens herself to what he has to say. This is all too much for Martha, right? So she does what any of us would do when we are deeply offended. She goes directly to her sister. No, she goes directly to Jesus and complains about her sister. 
in verse 40, comes to him and asks, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. You tell her. You're the teacher. You know how this arrangement works. Martha's upset because she's doing what faithful people do at a time like this. She's fulfilling the law of hospitality in order to honor Jesus, and Mary is not cooperating. And the kicker is that Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by any of this. He's not intervening. He's not doing anything about this incredibly inappropriate thing that her sister's doing. And it's not just that Mary's dropping the ball on giving hospitality. It's far worse than that. It's the fact that, than the fact that she's not helping. It's that Mary is taking the position of a disciple. She is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. That's the second time we've heard about Jesus' feet in this series. So, some backstory. To sit at a rabbi's feet is not just indicating a certain kind of devotion or adoration. Mary is not acting like some starry-eyed fanboy as she peers up at Jesus. To sit at a rabbi's feet is to take the posture and designation of a disciple, which implies that she is in training to be a future agent of Jesus' message and ministry. See, in the first century, women would occasionally listen to a rabbi's teaching, but to sit at one's feet, that is to reject the traditional women's role. It's as though Mary is saying, you can keep your tent. Give me the pulpit. Are we getting a little bit of why Martha's so jacked up here? Mary is learning to become what this teacher is so that she can do what this teacher is doing. N.T. Wright in his commentary on the book of Luke says this, Mary's actions would have shocked most Jewish men because Mary is behaving as if she were a man. In other words, Mary is transgressing the social order in an alarming, alarmingly inappropriate way. The wrong kind of person with low social status brazenly assuming the position of a future teacher and leader. How dare she? I mean, this must have been the... And what must be the shock of all shocks to Martha is that Jesus is not only not offended, he's encouraging it. (laughs) I mean, we've seen this enough, right? Through... We've been in Luke long enough to know this, that this kind of stuff happens all the time with Jesus. People do radically inappropriate things. Things like wipe his feet with their hair and touch his clothes in a crowd. And Jesus loves it. (laughs) All of Martha's assumptions about faithfulness are being challenged by the incarnate word in her midst. And because Martha trusts that her assumptions are correct. It's in the Bible. She lashes out at her sister Mary. And she also triangulates her anger against Jesus too. 
But Mary, Mary has sensed that in Jesus' presence in ministry, that the social prescriptions that have been written out for her as a woman no longer define her as a person. That in Jesus' community of discipleship, it is open to her despite her low status. And she receives this disruptive, disorienting word that is reshaping the world. And it begins to reshape her as she embraces it too. Do you see it? Everything's new for Mary. And beloved, the same thing is happening now in our midst. The good news is that Jesus, the incarnate word of God, is present among us now proclaiming a fresh word from God. This word is constantly reshaping the world in the goodness of God, breaking down barriers, elevating the lowly. But as it does this work, it disrupts all of our anxious clinging to preconceived notions about what God wants and what faithfulness looks like. But there is space for you today to sit at Jesus' feet too. So friends, listen to this disoriented, renewing word and allow it to reshape your life. This is the one thing needed. This is how we practice hospitality to God. Will we choose the better part? This is the reality that Jesus reveals in his response to Martha, verse 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus speaks directly to Martha's anxiety saying that the hospitality that he's interested in isn't just a clean house and a good meal. It's not for people to play the roles that they assume are expected of them. The only thing that Jesus requires is an open receptivity to his radical word that is reshaping the world and disrupts every oppressive social order that sets itself up against the kingdom of God. Jesus honors Mary's choice. He always honors faith throughout the Gospels. We've seen this over and over and over again. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. What is Jesus doing? He's honoring people's uh, uh, trust in him. Especially when that trust leads them to do things that are highly inappropriate. Every time this happens, I can, it's like I can hear Jesus saying, yes, like you trusted me more than you trusted what was expected of you. Way to go! That's what I'm doing throughout the world and you get to be in on it. These are the kinds of people that Jesus relentlessly defends. When trust is given to Jesus, it's never taken away. It never goes to waste. And implicit in Jesus' welcome of Mary is also an invitation to Martha. Right? Do you see that? Jesus is saying to Martha, look, you can come too. You too can sit at my feet. You too can receive this good news. Just drop your anxious clinging to these preconceived notions of faithfulness. Open yourself to the new unfolding kingdom of God. 
I'm, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. I'm saying a new thing. Yes, it seems to conflict with your notions about all the things that you've inherited. But will you trust me more than you trust what's come before me? Again, Jesus is not painting a contrast between prayer and housework, between service and worship. The contrast here is between Martha's anxious agitation, which stems from all of her old assumptions, and Mary's open receptivity to the disruptive, world-shaping word that's coming from Jesus. Martha's problem is not that she's busy. It's that she's anxious because her assumptions are being challenged. And she's trusted that anxiety to tell her the truth about the wrongness of the situation that she's in right now. Do you see that? Like if you could read the internal monologue of Martha, it would go something like, yes, I feel anxious, and I have a darn good reason to be anxious. But what Jesus invites Martha to do, instead of trusting her anxiety, is to be curious about her anxiety. To ask herself question, questions about that anxiety, to wonder about that anxiety in the presence of Jesus. The, the terminology that we sometimes use is that of a kairos. Kairos means time uh, in Greek, but it's, it's like a moment of opportunity. Kronos is like the, the flow of time, and kairos is like these, these moments where God is breaking through, doing something new, speaking a word, and it's like, can you perceive that God is doing something here in a new way? Can you have a kairos about it? Can you meet God in your anxiety rather than assume that your anxiety is telling you the truth? Can you ask yourself, like, maybe my anxiety is showing me the assumptions that I'm placing on God? And could it be that something that seems highly inappropriate and offensive to me is actually a gift from God to me to open me up to something new. Maybe I need to relearn here in order to welcome a fresh word from God in my life. Maybe, maybe Mary's don't need to be in the tent. Shock of all shocks. Maybe I don't either. Maybe God is doing a new thing in my life. See, um, Martha's not alone in this frustration, right? She's not the only one with anxiety about the world and what's right and what's wrong. She's not the only one that looks at the news and goes, God, like, why don't people act better than they do? She's not the only one who uh, stubbornly thinks that she's in the right when everyone else is wrong. All of us, I think, we can identify something with Martha's frustration because all of us want to have a solid set of expectations and rules to live by and rely on, right? I want that. Don't you? To know that we're doing what God wants us to do? You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't want that. 
problem becomes when in our need for safety and control, we double down on old assumptions. We become hard and in, inflexible, unhearing to the new things that God is doing and saying. We, we have ears, but we don't hear. Eyes, but we don't see. This is biblical language for refusing to have a kairos. But friends, the, the Jesus that we see here is the incarnate word of God who is always speaking anew. Always speaking a new word that disrupts our desire for control and comfort. This word is rooted in Scripture. It comes to us from the Bible. But it is a fresh word of God. And it often comes to us in disorienting ways that we have to be ready and welcoming for. Um, one of my favorite books on prayer is a book by Hans von Balthasar, who's a Swiss theologian. Um, and he says this, uh, which I think is appropriate here. He says, if we want to live in God's light, we must learn to listen to God's word, which always addresses us personally, which, always, which is always new because it is always free. It is impossible to deduce this word from some prior word that we have already understood and put into stone. Clear and fresh, God's word pours forth from the wellspring of absolute sovereign freedom. The word of God can require, listen to this, can require something of me today that it did not require yesterday. This means that if I am to hear this challenge, I must fundamentally, I must be fundamentally open and listening. This is the challenge of being an insider. Because insiders are used to the rules of what makes insiders on the inside and what keeps outsiders on the outside. Once those rules are established and we have deduced that we have passed the test of that insider-outsider uh, boundary marker, we codify those rules into law and we write them on stone tablets and we put them outside of courtrooms. But God's word is Jesus. It is not information that we acquire and possess and then use to exclude. It is not a code book that we wield to find out instructions for all time that never need uh, reinvestigation. That's not how God's word works. God's word is Jesus himself, himself who stands in the midst of his body. What I was talking with people after uh, our, our gathering last week and how so many people were sharing. And, and um, I asked a few of you, like, what, what's, the, what's the thing going to be that you, like, take home with you today? And more often than not, it, it was nothing that I said from up here. It was what, other, what you heard other people say as they were reflecting on what God was saying to them. You're like, man, if, if God is changing them, then maybe he's changing me. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to bring that home. That might change my week. Like, that's, that's, that's God in the midst of his body as the head of his church, radically present 
in and with his people, speaking fresh words of life to us. I don't care where it comes from. I, I don't mind if you don't remember anything I say. <laughs> That's not the point of this. The point is that you're formed into the image of the one who gave his life for you. That's the point. By whatever means he chooses to do it. So Jesus is, is always, I think, always giving an invitation. He's giving an invitation to Martha, but he's also inviting us. Friends, let us then become hospitable to God's word in our midst, knowing that while it comes to us through Scripture, it's always a fresh, new, surprising, disorienting word that will often require something of us that it did not require yesterday, something we would have never thought of yesterday. This is the pattern that we see of Jesus' disciples all throughout the Gospels and even into the book of Acts. Jesus seems to always lead his disciples into situations of intense disorientation. We're going to see another one next week. He leads them to, to hang around with, with people that no faithful follower of God should be caught dead with. And then he leads them to act in ways that actually feel like disobedience to God. Things like eating with tax collectors and sinners. Ugh. Things like going into the home of a Gentile or like sitting next to a woman as equals in ministry. It's hard to fathom for us in 21st century uh, Western society how rebellious and disgusting things like this would have been to Jesus' first century followers. In fact, the, the Pharisees ask the disciples, like, why does your master do this? And they can't come up with an answer. All they can say is, I don't, like, we hate it too, but he's got the words of life, so we just keep following him. I don't know. Turns out that these disorienting situations are, in fact, God's kingdom of goodness popping up in our midst, leading us into life. The good news that we proclaim today Beloved is that Jesus is the incarnate Word of God who is always present and among us, even here and now. He's the head of the body and He's proclaiming a fresh word to us today. This word is reshaping the world in the goodness of God, but as it does its work, it will disrupt our anxious clinging to preconceived notions about what God wants and what it means to be faithful. But there's space for us today. There is space at the feet of Jesus to sit and listen and allow this disorienting word to reshape us too. This is the one thing that's needed. So, what are you worried about today? I know you're all worried about the Eagles losing, but come on. What are you really worried about today? What are you distracted by? Where, what gives you anxiety? about the world today and the wrongness that you see out there and how are you trusting that anxiety as though it were the truth of God? And can you hear Jesus instead inviting you to be curious, to have a kairos, to discern what preconceived notions about God and faithfulness need to be upended today?
Um, one for me that's, you know, happened, I mean, sort of in front of you all, but it's, the, it's I'll just mention, it is the role of women in the church. I had some really, like, deeply preconceived notions about what was and was not available to women. And the more I read Jesus, the more that dichotomy has just been smashed to bits. And I'm thankful for it. What is Jesus inviting you to be curious about? To discern. Let's respond uh, to Jesus by sitting at his feet together, yeah? By confessing our anxieties and asking for God to help release our assumptions about what God wants and how to be faithful, about what's proper and and inappropriate, and open ourselves to the world reshaping good news that Jesus is speaking today. Let's pray.